today on the Tearsheet Podcast. You know, I, I laugh about this, but you can get a massage on demand in major cities right now on an app in an hour. And you want to get your bank transfer or your insurance claim payout. It's going to take three or four, maybe even five days if there's a holiday in there. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Zach Miller, Tearsheet's Editor-in-Chief. The move to faster payments is happening. And when you zoom out and look where things like the real-time payments initiatives are going to have a real impact, you can see that instant payments can have a lot of resonance in the insurance industry and supply chain finance. But to do this in B2B, you really need to make it easy and marry identity together with payouts. That's because a lot more is at stake when things move to real time. My guest today on the show is Stephanie Kirkpatrick, founder and CEO of Orem. Orem offers a single API integration for payouts that works over RTP, ACH, and other rails. Stephanie may be a financial planner by training, but she's all in on Orem and payouts. We discuss what's driving the move to real-time payments and how disbursements and early wage access are two of the most important first use cases. Stephanie shares what looking abroad can reflect about the road and impact to real-time payments. She also shares her views on where the market is headed and her plans and goals for Orem in 2023. Stephanie Kirkpatrick is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. Hi, Zach. It's so great to be here today. Uh, my name is Stephanie Kirkpatrick. I'm the founder and CEO of Orem. And Orem is the simplest API integration for instant payout. Use R1 solution to deliver payouts through RTP, ACH, same-day ACH, and more. This year, we're really excited to be launch partners with FedNow's new Faster Payments product coming in uh, late spring, early summer. And we're excited about what we're doing in the pat space because it solves the time to money problem, right? Which is such a powerful human problem that everybody faces at some point, sometimes often for a variety of reasons. And so as we think about how you implement an instant payout stack with us via a single API where we can get this up and running in less than a sprint or less, it positions customers, partners of ours to launch new payout experiences that attract and monetize new customers. It's a total differentiator, right? We are literally in a real-time world on every front, except with money, at least in the US. And it ultimately allows for diversification of revenue, right? Because there's now a path to potentially charge and monetize the instant capabilities. And then we work with our partners to grow beyond just a payout solution to really thrive in a world of real-time expectations. You know, I, I laugh about this, but you can get a massage on demand in major cities right now on an app in an hour. And you want to get your bank transfer or your insurance claim payout. It's going to take three or four, maybe even five days if there's a holiday in there. And so, you know, we really just think about continuously unlocking new features that continue to press on the necessity of instant and real time so that whether it's a financial product um, that we're working with, or it's something in the creator economy or rewards, incentives, insurance, um, the full potential can ultimately be unlocked. So we're really excited about where we are as we are getting into uh, 2023. Awesome. I'm, I'm glad you joined us today, Stephanie. Um, maybe we could take a step back and talk about that instant and where instant comes from. And, you know, we, we've had quite a few payments executives on on the show recently and, and without fail, um, you know, time to money comes up as one of the major trends, you know, that, that, that we're experiencing. So, so maybe you can help frame that for us and what's happening there. Obviously we know we have the, you know, different RTP programs being, being done, but maybe more the organic sort of macro trend towards instant. You, you mentioned a little bit in your intro, but can we, can we tease that out a little bit? Yeah, more? we can yeah. absolutely tease that out. I mean, I'm actually a financial planner um, by training and still a CFP. 
So I don't think I'm like your classic payments CEO for a variety of reasons. Uh, and I think that's actually really powerful because I'm looking to solve a problem at the infrastructure level that doesn't reach just hundreds of thousands or millions. It reaches hundreds of millions of American households and businesses because we can fundamentally change the way money moves. And using the new faster payment vehicles, as you mentioned, RTP, FedNow, but think beyond that, push to wallet, right? Something like a Zelle product. There's so many different ways now that you could potentially move money from point A to point B. It's way more complicated than it used to be when it was just checks or wires. And so you need to be able to orchestrate and configure decision-making and allow all those technologies to live in a single place. From my perspective, that's the starting point in solving for time to money. And the reason I care so much about that problem is that as a financial planner, and ultimately as the daughter of an immigrant um, who I, where I spent my entire childhood watching my dad um, really build a life in America where he came with nothing, I'm really passionate about looking at the households who do have less, who need to make the smartest, most precise decisions, who really absolutely, it's the difference between making it or not making it in a given week or month if some payout doesn't get to them instantly, right? And you can think about earned wage access as an example, right now, those things go on to cards and then there's interchange and cost. What if I can go directly into a bank account? How much faster, easier, cheaper could that be for everybody? One, it promotes banking as opposed to utilization of cards. And two, now there are actually ways to deliver that value. Think about claims, right? Whether uh, you know somebody goes out on disability, they've had an injury, a surgery. I just had my appendix out, so I guess surgery is top of mind. Um, Though luckily that's not a long-term disability, you have a baby and all of a sudden you're out of the workforce. How do we deliver instant access to money that helps cover and bridge those periods of time? And I just think the time to money problem, it literally lives everywhere. It's under every rock and it's important to every household and every business for different reasons. And so I just, you know, I show up every day with a ton of conviction that, um, you know, someday we'll look back and laugh and say, wow, I needed my account and routing number and it took five days to send money or I had to get a check in the mail. And we'll laugh because someday and probably not that far in the future, you'll use my email or my phone number and it'll work just as seamlessly. So I think as the US catches up and 2023 is a big catch up year for us because of these net new technologies, we're just going to see an entire shift um, in the adoption of real time and instant payments everywhere. So do you see your clients looking overseas for, for use cases or for inspiration, I guess, um, for, for what a world looks like when, when payments are accelerated? The in inspiration from other countries is so incredible. I think, you know, when you look at a, a country like Brazil, uh, which recently launched PIX, or you look at India with UPI, even look within the UK and Europe, the U.S. is really far behind. And I think there are some understood reasons why. Um, from a central bank perspective, that hasn't been a priority in the U.S. But if you look at Brazil, where the central bank essentially said, this is a mandate and we're doing it, the adoption curve of instant went from zero to like nearly 90%. And so I think that you can absolutely achieve broad adoption. And there are reasons why we look at these other countries to glean insights from what they leapfrogged over, what they ultimately actually never did as a stepping stone, um, and, and potentially how it you know, could be pushed further in the U.S. with more of a policy mandate, which might or might not happen, likely won't happen, versus how it can be pushed further through consumer demand and ultimately through better technology enablement, which is kind of where we spend our time thinking about the problem.
Right. You mentioned that use case of, of being able to get a massage within an hour. You know, um, the fact that the, 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 the financial industry is, is so woefully behind. Do you, what role do you see, I guess, traditional financial institutions um, playing in this move towards real time? Well, the traditional financial institutions, certainly some of the largest ones are out there, um, maybe not advocating aggressively, but certainly participating in the new faster payment systems. And that's critical. Right. If you think about it, go back in time and you think about in the U.S. Venmo or you think about Apple Pay, things that today in 2023 felt basically ubiquitous. There was definitely a time. And, and I remember in both cases, the tipping point where you couldn't really use those with full ubiquity. So for the bigger financial institutions, I think the priority is receive. Is your institution enabled to receive a faster payment? Because the more places you can receive one the bigger the send network can ultimately be. The number hmm. of senders will grow after the number of receivers is high. And so we're at about, I'd say it depends on who you ask. You know, RTP just published some updates on the number of banks that are live. They have about 200 banks live. Now there's 5,000 banks, there's 11,500 financial institutions. So that's like a drop in the bucket. But if you think about banking coverage, that's about 67, 70% coverage, which is actually really good. Um, so I think there's some concept that we, we hear is, oh, coverage isn't great. So therefore, we shouldn't use faster payments. Well, what if 70% of the time it could be instant? Why wouldn't you use it 70% of the time? Right. It's, not so it's all really, I think, in a, it's not all or nothing. Absolutely. Right. And so and to close the gap on the long tail, um, maybe it'll only ever get to 80% for these current systems, but something else like Zelle, which I think is a fantastic example because it uses phone number, it uses an alias like your email is another way to bridge the gap to connect via a token, the account you bank with and the identity that you have elsewhere and to create a seamless experience. So we might not get RTP and FedNow to 100% of banks, but we might be able to go to 95% or even higher coverage and reach on faster payments just by leveraging the different systems. To do that though, you need something like Aurum, which can ultimately know, is Stephanie on all of the above systems, one of the above systems? Is Zach on any, none, all? And orchestrate the payments accordingly, because it is a really complex decision to know and keep track of status, availability, preference at the end user level or end business level. And so that's where I think the technology plays super critical too. You have the support from a lot of the larger FIs and certainly the Fed's sort of policy mandate at a minimum is every American should be able to pay another American instantly. So people are leaned in. I think it's the technology layer that ultimately closes the gap. Awesome. And, and Stephanie, you mentioned um, earned wage access, and we've had a few guests on the show recently that have said that that um, is probably the, the primary use case to show the, the, the efficacy or the power of real-time payments. Do, do you see the world similarly? I absolutely do. I mean, I think when you give consideration to the very unique model for wages that's been created in the advent of what was once called a side hustle or like a second job, but is now like maybe five or six different things pieced together to create full-time income, right? Driving for multiple service providers or providing gig services in three or four kinds of platforms, in aggregate, that may be enough income to replace a salary. And so it's a wholly different model now besides the every two week paycheck and the ability for folks to access those dollars that they have earned instantly is crucial. 
because they're not generally tied to payroll cadences like traditional workers. And so they have differing needs, right? They have different kinds of insurance coverage that they might have to pay for. They have potentially the cost of the vehicle that they're covering. And so being able to streamline early and earned wage access, I don't think it's actually exclusive just to the gig economy. Um, We see it in other industries as well. Um, Doctors, nurses, people who pick up shifts on call. I mean, you could really actually scratch well below the kind of traditional um, sort of gig worker and find a number of places where getting paid instantly after the shift or when the job is complete, construction, contractors, wallpaper, you know, hangers, you name it, creatives, artists, people on sets who do photo shoots, who do creative movie content. I mean, there are just endless use cases and I don't think they concentrate exclusively to the gig economy, but I do absolutely believe um, that they're one of the highest priority places where time to money is a value that um, one, folks, they value getting their, their, their pay. And legally in some states, there are absolute things you have to contend with especially in California, for example, where the last day of someone's work has to be paid out. And sometimes people are sending wires or they're holding checks in a physical location that you have to go get that. And that just is nonsensical for the digital world that we live in today. So I love that you've, you've sort of um, floated up a few different use cases. I, I'm curious also about use cases that you're seeing today based on the, the macro picture um, we've had quite a few guests on the show recently also talk about fraud attempts being up and, mm-hmm. and maybe some of the use cases you're seeing around lending in particular. Um, I'm just curious to, to hear that. Well, fraud's such a hot topic. I think for a variety of reasons, it certainly has had a bigger impact, I would say, since COVID and the digitization of so much in money movement. And I think that the fraudsters have been able to move quickly with the new technology. And I think They're that's- They're really wily, those guys. Yeah. Very wily. I mean, if only I were a fraudster, I feel like I'd probably be building even more interesting products. You'd be really good at um, it too, based on what you build. Very yeah. good, very good at it. And there's some great companies that really put this top of mind. You know, from our perspective, I think there is a difference between, you know, what gets conflated in the instant space is like, let's take the Zelle example, which has been pretty public. Well, if you do an instant payment, it, it's obviously fraudulent. There's concern that you can never get the money back. Like that's that that thus then speed is Wait, specifically bad. if it's A to A type account to account payment. Specifically right? yeah. A to A, yeah. yeah. So I'm not sure that's actually true. What I what I do think is that Americans are very vulnerable, especially in a post-COVID era. And digital contact and sort of living through, I'm not going to go as far as the metaverse, but living through digital channels, right? Social channels, online dating definitely increased. And I think that people are vulnerable. And with chat GPT and generative AI, the ability to sound like a friend, a human, it's getting better and better. And so the schemes are getting richer to socially engineer schemes where people would send money and potentially on an instant platform. And I don't think that is the same kind of fraud as we're used to seeing historically. Thus, I don't think it negates the power of instant what I think it really does is it, it showcases why we need more education, why there are probably more controls and checks and balances when you do certain transfers. Um, but I'm ultimately obviously so bullish on instant that I don't want fraud to become the reason we don't do it. I think what needs to happen and is happening already is that there's increasing consumer awareness of how to interact, what not to interact with, and that there are increasingly are great technology companies who are at the forefront of identity 
fraud, because they're different, although they can be related. And if identity and fraud are being thought of as wholly independent products and services that come before a payment transfer, we're in much better shape than we were historically where systems like ACH, you could send it to Donald Duck and use Stephanie's account routing number and it's going to go through, right? So like RTP requires things like a name match. So if the name doesn't match, it will return back saying the name doesn't match, right? So there are different things that have been built into the newer systems that contemplate sending a message alongside a transfer. And that alone is a powerful change um, in just the, these faster payment systems. It doesn't stop, obviously, that there will always be fraud. I think it's just a change in dynamic and, and obviously a huge investment to find technology providers who are really working through those fraud issues at hand. So so that's actually a good prelude, I guess, into my next question. And I, I was going to ask you more if we could shift gears a little bit more to the Orem platform. Um, it sounds like that data aggregation challenge is, is core to one of the, the things that you saw. So it, it, as in your in the guts of the, of the platform, is there a data aggregation component to be able to identify me across different platforms? Oh, you're trying to spill our secret sauce, Zach. Um, <laughs> Give us a secret sauce. Well, so, you know, you're, uh, you're really pointing towards a big piece of the strategy, which is that a payment network and a data network are very correlated, mm -hmm. right? And I think we would be crazy not to be keeping data that comes in as we do transfers about good actors, bad actors. I've always landed in the camp that a whitelist is better than a blacklist. Um, oh, nice. I used to love the kind of blue check example. I think that's gone away for a few reasons <laughs> because now you could just buy the blue check. Right. But there was a signal that if you had a blue check on a social platform that you were Certain approved, vetted. Yeah. Yeah. And so what's, you know, from the Orem perspective, verified by Orem, there was a point of view that we have and we're developing right now, um, more features and capabilities that will be coming out that essentially find the good actors and allow the good actors to bypass the bad actors and maintain ease of access on instant capabilities you always have to inventory and find bad actors as well, but it's much more interesting, in my opinion, to really index on accounts that are in good standing, transfers that are good transfers, and have a history and a bunch of data sets that can correlate to finding more of those in the populations as transactions continue to grow on the platform. Interesting. Um, so you mentioned, you know, it is early 2023, although it still feels like a lifetime has passed since, uh, since New Year's. Um, like what, what are some of the, the big priorities you have running your company in, into this year, this upcoming year? You know, we did our sales kickoff the second week of January and I was, you know, talking about it recently and somebody goes, yeah, that was only 30 days ago. And I was like, no, no, that couldn't have been. So I think you're right. It does feel like a lifetime. Um, this year, uh, we have, we have some really exciting priorities on the horizon, one of the biggest priorities um, is really just continuing to push boundaries into categories where instant payments is a necessity, but the sort of core company maybe isn't a fintech or financial services provider. So it's been really embedded interesting. Embedded finance example. Yes, yeah. exactly. So it's been really interesting to get out into places where there's some really new technology happening and, um, you know, You've got some very interesting industries. I'm going to take logistics, for example. Um, you know, in the logistics world, trucking companies, you, you get to a platform, you're going to unload your truck. You don't unload until you get paid. How do we solve the sort of next step in the journey? How do you unlock hmm. and ungate pieces of the supply chain, for example? So we're really excited to kind of go out in other verticals that are kind of beyond traditional financial services 
and really spend time in some of these kind of net new categories. Um, factoring also really interesting. Uh, there's a lot for us going on um, around uh, gaming, and then there's a ton happening in insurance, um, which is traditional financial services. But I think what's unique about it is that there's certainly more appetite to really find the use cases where maybe a claim can be resolved in insurance through technology, better, faster, smarter, call it down to like sub 24 hours, but the payment's still really slow. So actually resolving a claim quickly almost isn't that interesting unless you can tie it to a faster payment. And there are some really great places that we talked about disability insurance. So there's some big providers that we're working with in that space. Um, I think just in general, we're excited about, you know, you get out of the sort of place of trying to identify where should you spend time? And then you now, now you with a certainty of what really works from a time to money perspective, uh, being able to sprint after core categories and, you know, grow our sales organization this year beyond even where it is today um, are some of the things that get us really excited. And then, you know, as we alluded to, uh, there are definitely some products forthcoming. Um, we're going to be launching an API shortly that is useful for finding eligibility and availability um, on these faster networks. And so for folks who maybe don't do transactions with us yet, but need to identify, is it even viable to use this account in a faster payment schema? Um, there's going to be a couple of things launching end of this quarter in service of that. And then a juicy roadmap of stuff. So we'll have to get back together, you know, in the summer and talk about what some of those things look like. Uh, but ultimately 2023 is feeling shaping up in the first few weeks already to be such a big year for us. Awesome. I wanted just to uh, maybe double click on the, um, on the trucking example you got. I don't, I'm not necessarily so interested in the, in the trucking industry or um, trans logistics industry, but more the idea that um, a lot of these solutions are coming from, because I think one of the challenges in solving B2B payments is that it's, about the payments, about the workflows associated mm -hmm. with them, right? And like the approvals and all that kind of stuff. So um, I'm kind of curious what your view on, and, and it feels like this is the year like where we, B2C payments have been sort of focused on up until now. And like, I'm just hearing mm -hmm. a lot about B2B payments and it's coming from these solutions. It sounds like that's what you're seeing as well. You're absolutely seeing the same thing that we're seeing, which is that B2B is, first of all, if you look at the NACHA data that gets published on ACH, 52 trillion of the 72 trillion dollars of money movement every year is B2B. So I think it makes sense. Now, some of that is payroll. So we could set some of the numbers aside, but B2B is the, is the biggest category of money movement. And it's where there's actually the least developed technologies. Even account verification is very hard in B2B. There's no Stephanie to log her credentials into an aggregator to then link an account, right? Businesses aren't structured that way. So I think you can expect more from us in a variety of places, just as it pertains to B2B customers. I mean, we we got paid last year by a check from one of our sponsors. I was like, I don't even know what to do with that anymore. What <laughs> do like, I do, do with I this piece of paper? Cash it? Do I send it somewhere? Right. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> Stephanie, it's wonderful to talk to you. And, and, and good luck this year. Sounds like you have an ambitious roadmap. And uh, it's been a pleasure talking today. Thanks for joining us on the Tear Sheet Podcast. It's been my pleasure. I'm so excited to continue to press on time to money and instant payouts. Thanks for having me, Zach.